If you have a Bible handy, you might like to turn to the letter to the Philippians. We're going to look together over the next uh, number of weeks at the letter to the Philippians. So it's Philippians. And just want to just introduce the theme really this morning um, and for the next number of weeks. So if you have a Bible handy, it'd be great if you could turn to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to look at Philippians together. We're going to take a theme over the next few weeks, month or so. Joy from prison. Paul, when he wrote this letter, uh, was imprisoned at the time. And it's an amazing little letter. It's not very long. It's about four chapters if you have a Bible. It's a short letter, but it's a letter written to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. Hence, it's called the letter to the Philippians. And uh, it's just full of an amazing sense of hope and joy in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. And it's that sort of theme that we're going to look at for a few weeks uh, in the weeks ahead. So I'm just going to just uh, look at a few verses together. And so this morning is really an introduction to a theme. It's not a sort of a a note-taking type of morning. It's not going to be item one, item two. It, it's, it's more of just an introduction of a, a theme of hope that we'll unpack in a few weeks ahead. And so bear with me, come with me just for a few moments this morning as we try and pick up the, the flavor, try and um, catch the heart of the message that we're going to look at. And my prayer is it will be helpful, inspirational, life changing for you and uh, for me in over the weeks, uh, the weeks ahead. So in Philippians chapter 1, we read, Paul and Timothy, servants uh, of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons. Grace, peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, after the opening introduction of his letter, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work within you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and uh, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long, or uh, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of. Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and... and um, And uh, dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am 
put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ may be preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, um, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So we're going to just pause for a moment. So let's, if we could look up, that'd be great. Um, so Philippians, it's a letter. It's a short letter to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. Philippi uh, was a, a town, a city, and it had been founded by the father of Alexander the Great, King Philip, hence Philippi. Philip was an amazing king of Macedonia, northern part of Greece. He was the father of Alexander the Great, who conquered the, almost conquered the entire world. And this, he founded a city after his name, came after him, hence Philippi. And uh, Philippi was a place where Paul first saw a number of Christians on European soil. Uh, first, a group of people became Christians on European soil, and it was his first church. His first church in Europe. It's, it, what happened was Christianity spread from Jerusalem, went up into Judea, then northern Samaria, then into Syria. And then from there, Paul moved further north into what we now call Turkey, a place called Asia Minor. On the map, it'd be Turkey. And then uh, on a, a, another missionary journey, he was in the area of Asia Minor. People like to go on holiday at that part of the world in, on the coast of Turkey. And he had a vision of a man from Macedonia in Greece. And in that vision, the man from Macedonia said, come and help us. And so when Paul woke up, rather than turn to further parts of the Greek world, he turned into Europe and went into Greece. And it was at a place called Philippi, the first stop. The Holy Spirit led him and he stopped and a number of people became Christians. A lady called Lydia, a seller of purple, very expensive cloth and color, um, priceless. A slave girl uh, was released from a spirit of divination. Later on, um, a jailer in his entire household, he was probably a Roman citizen, became a Christian. And what we find at Philippi, led by revelation, Paul was led to see a number of people become Christians. That was the first church on European soil. Wow! From Jerusalem, the first church on European soil. And there was something in Paul's heart for this church. Some years later now, he writes 
This is probably 10 years later. So in about 52 AD, this church is founded. People become Christians. And about 62 AD, Paul's writing this letter to a group of Christians, now a growing church in that place. And uh, Paul has a place in his heart for Philippi. It was his first church. It was the place where God called him by revelation, not to continue in Asia, but to come over to Europe. Who knows, we might not be here today if it wasn't for Paul coming over to Europe and... and um, Bringing the message of Jesus Christ. So Philippi has a great place in his heart. And this little letter that he writes um, is a letter out of tremendous relationship with a group of Christians in that part of the world. And so the letter's full. Is a fa- First of all, it's to thank the Christians at this place for their gift. It appears that they've heard that Paul is in trouble. And so they send a gift to him. And so this letter is his way of saying, and as you read it, Thank you for your gift. Also, not only did they send him money and help and assistance, they sent him some friends. And so there's a man called, uh, and a guy called Epaphroditus. There's a tongue twister for you. Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was someone they, the Philippians sent to help Paul. And Paul says he nearly died, and I'm sending him back to you with thanks. So it's, this letter is a way of saying thank you, and send him back Epaphroditus saying thank you. He served so well. But also it's a letter um, of love. This little letter is amazing because it's absolutely filled with a sense of love and hope. Paul's love for these believers, but his love based on that Jesus is the living God and alive. And the hope of, of Jesus alive and Paul's love for Jesus and his love for them. So as you go on and read it, it's full of love, hope and a sense of joy. Again and again, Paul writes in this letter, it's a joy for me to write to you. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice in God. And so again and again, this letter is full of love because it's to people that he loves. But it's more than that. It's a letter full of hope and joy about God and uh, his hope in our hearts and lives. Now, this is all the more amazing because when he's writing this, he's imprisoned. Life is not going well. For Paul, you wouldn't think it the way he writes. He's writing absolutely, boldly, amazingly. God is good. Rejoice. I love you. Nothing can separate us. It's that sort of letter. And yet he is by this time in prison. He's in Rome. He's got to Rome, his place of ambition. He's been sharing with the Christians there. Some of the Christians in Rome are all for him and they're speaking about him lovingly. And some Christians are against him and saying horrible things to the emperor about him. And so there's a lot of stuff being stabbed in the back is going on. But at the same time, while all this is going on, he's, um, in, he's under house arrest. And he's probably in a, in a, a, a home and um, not allowed to go out. So he didn't have any freedom wasn't allowed to see anybody. They could only come to the house. And there would have been a Roman guard there. In this letter, he speaks about how the whole palace guard have heard about Jesus. Well, that's because he's probably chained. He's chained either to the guard or he's chained in the house. So when Paul writes this incredible letter of hope, it's all the more amazing because in his life, and you wouldn't hear it and believe it, stuff's going on where some people are stabbing him in the back and some are for him and some are against him and he's lost his liberty. Not only did he lost his liberty, but um, he was about to appear before a judge and jury to determine his future. And he's not sure whether he will live or not because there's a lot of people baying for his blood. And I say it like that because they want, a lot of people wanted him dead. And there was a lot of people baying for his blood. And church tradition tells us that 
Paul probably did lose his life uh, as a martyr. Um, because he was a Roman citizen, he wasn't crucified. They would have allowed him the luxury of being beheaded. And that's the death that he met, ultimately. So it's quite an amazing letter and um, full of hope and love, full of joy. And at the same time written from a circumstance that said exact opposite. Um, so we, the thing is this, and this is where maybe it can become something personal. So I set the scene. We need to know the scene that it's set and to know what it's about, first of all, to look at now how it could be relevant for you and I, because it does have a relevance for you and I today. Um, we're living in an age, an amazing time. We live in an age of choice. We live in an age of opportunity. We live in an age of relative prosperity. We might take that for granted a bit, but a uh, hundred years ago, you know, pros- levels of prosperity, choice and opportunity are nowhere near. It's, we live in an e- the way it's gone exponential. We live in a quite amazing world where there is choice, opportunity, and to some degree, a relative prosperity. I know that there are people that are having hard times today, and that's true. But relative to a hundred years ago, we, we're living in a world that's just pretty incredible compared um, you know, in the, in the 50s and 60s, the prime minister of the day said, you never had it so good. But it's, 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 if, if you can remember that, I think it was Macmillan, Harold Macmillan coined a phrase, you never had it so, so good. I, wasn't, I was probably only born in 63, so I can't remember any of that. But uh, I, I have it on record that that's what was said. But I think today, it, it's, it's incredible opportunity. And yet, never have we lived in an age of choice, opportunity and prosperity, have we lived in an age of anxiety. An age of angst. We live in an age where anxiety is at a level like no other level before. Oh, there's always been upset. There's always been down days as well as good days. People have always been anxious from probably the very, very beginning of, almost the beginning of time. Since the fall. Since the garden fall, perhaps. But there's now a level of anxiety that seems to be all pervasive And it's sort of in your face on social media as well. So you can't even almost switch off from it. It's 24-7. And I don't know if you probably watch the news, you're aware of the media today. But uh, something that um, is sort of impressed upon me is um, at the moment there is a whole uh, buzzword about mental health. You know, the health care system treating mental health like physical health. And the funding for social care and mental health. And not just for when we're older, but as we're younger. So mental health in schools right now, a charity called Place to Be is saying that even in um, junior age level, uh, anxiety is at a pervasive level like it's never been before. And so looking at teaching staff being trained in anxiety management and stuff like that sort of thing. Whether it's because we know more than we've ever known and we're, we're informed more, I think there's probably a degree of truth in that, but the area of mental health, and when we speak of mental health, it's looking at just general levels of anxiety. In actual fact, for, the, the, I, I, for a few weeks ago, I, I, came across, I, shared, I came across some statistics. I'm not going to go again to them now. But levels of general anxiety disorder. So it's general anxiety disorder is, is in the millions. Is in the millions each year in the UK. So we're not building something up, we're just saying it as it is. 
And so it's great that people like members of the royal family are speaking about mental health and their own anxieties and their down days and their up days and feeling disillusioned days. And uh, it's great that people have, uh, there's an openness about this and demystifying it and taking away stigma if we feel. And, and as Christians, you know, we will be gripped at times by certain anxiety and sometimes in the grip of anxiety. Not only is there uh, now speaking more than ever um, about our sense of mental health and well-being and anxiety levels, but there's something else that's been spoken about more than I've ever known before, um, and it's called emotional resilience. If you're in education, you'll hear about it more and more. And if you work with children and youth and young people, you'll, you'll hear this more and more about building emotional resilience. There is a concern today that the background to anxiety and general anxiety goes back further to what people are calling and and psychologists and educationalists are calling emotional resilience. Emotional resilience is when you get knocked over, do you bounce back? How do you bounce back? How do you get back? How do you deal with life? So when the wind blows and the palm tree is in the hurricane and it gets bent over, the palm tree will come back. And emotional resilience looks at when life is tough, you, won, you run the race and you don't win it, you come, say, second or third, and you think, oh. Or you go for the job interview and you don't even get an interview. Or you go for the interview and you get rejected at interview and life sucks. Emotional resilience in universities is now top of counselling and and help, looking at how we deal with the hiccups of life and the difficulties of life. And emotional resilience looks at, are we able to bounce back? How do we deal with upsets and um, anxieties and our ability to come back? Well, Philippians is an amazing letter as Paul shares a key or the key to inner heart and mind and our spirit health. Um, he shares an incredible practical theology of love and life and hope. It's an amazing letter. This little letter that's a love letter to friends, full of love and hope and joy, carries with it, as we look at it and unpack it over the next few weeks, um, an, an antidote to anxiety. It's amazing, honestly. It isn't a psychological book. It's a letter chosen in the plan of God to heal our hearts with the love of God. And as we look at it, my hope is that as we look at this together, we'll find something in Jesus Christ and find someone in Jesus Christ who is the answer to heart and head and our hearts and our lives. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing because the main theme that will come out as we read this together is joy. You know, people looking for happiness in life, a sense of hope and enjoyment. And Paul found something deep in his heart. We speak of a, a, um, a sense of deep, deep joy that was able to overcome, transcend, raise above circumstance. Because it wasn't just stuff that's outside us. It was something that was inside him. Jesus was in him, the Holy Spirit. And this is amazing. 
You know, again and again in the New Testament, we'll read that Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit will be with us and in us. The hope in us. The glory of God in us. This is amazing. This is an amazing revelation. If we can get hold of this and begin to live in this, you will have a life that is transformed. A life of hope. And it will deal with anxiety. You'll be able to deal with anxiety like you've never dealt with it before. Believe you, me. And so Paul was able to say, rejoice. It's for nothing. Again, I say rejoice with me. Nothing. I said it again. There's joy in God. Even though all his circumstance was screaming out to him, you're doomed. Also, he goes on to speak in this letter. Not only the theme of joy comes again and again and again, which deals with our hearts, but again and again is, is an idea of thinking and our minds. And so we'll see that what, what he writes about is having the same mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, and thinking on Christ, Philippians chapter 4. And so there's something amazing will come out of this, Paul's understanding. There's a sense of knowing Jesus in our hearts and, and uh, Jesus in our hearts and lives and the Holy Spirit transforming the way we think with our heads. And so heart and head is changed into the image of God. And uh, most of what goes on in our lives, it goes on in what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our heads. And on the outside, you can look amazing and feel everything's great. But in your heart, you can feel it's absolutely awful. And when Paul writes, he's writing about what he's sharing, about what he's discovered, not only in his heart with the love of God that brings a sense of joy and hope that transcends what's going on around you, but also the changing of the power of our minds. Um, If you think something bad's going to happen to you and you get onto that cycle, then often it becomes a negative self-fulfilling prophecy and something bad does happen. You, you, you end up fouling up or you end up not, not, not being good enough. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not mind over matter, but there's something in. And so Paul speaks again and again about having the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ, Philippians chapter 2. It's amazing. And then in chapter 4, we'll look at this, he speaks about thinking upon whatever's good, whatever's pure, whatever's of God. Think on these things. There's something powerful in having our hearts and our heads transformed with the love and the power of God. And so it's pretty spectacular when you consider that Paul is now chained. He's under house arrest. And yet there's something amazing. So Paul is saying all these things. And we'll look at this as we we go on with uh, this letter. And um, he's captive. He's under house arrest. He's physically in prison. And yet his heart is free. And yet his heart is as free as a bird. Something amazing. There's something amazing. We can be captured by circumstance. And yet our heart and our spirit and our mind and our lives are free. Because Jesus said something quite spectacular. And you'll probably even know the words. In John chapter 8 verse 36 he says, He whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. Truly free. When we're set free in Christ, we're truly free. We can be freed in our hearts, freed in our minds, freed in our spirits, no matter what is going on around us. Really incredibly powerful. And Paul had discovered something amazing. So he writes writes this letter to friends to say, I've discovered something in my heart. 
and in my mind and in my life. Hold on to Jesus and he'll hold you. It's amazing. Physically, he was captive. But in his heart and spirit, he was free. Set absolutely free. He wasn't held by people. He wasn't held by things. And he wasn't held by circumstance. It's no matter who you know, what you know, how much you have, how much you do, no matter how good life is, no matter what goes on around us, it's transitory. There's a good day, there will be bad days. But all of that was immaterial. Those things could not get to him because his heart, God had him. It's amazing. It's incredible. He wasn't held by people. He wasn't held by things. He wasn't held by circumstance. The key to Paul's life was that he was conscious that his life was held in the hands of God. Oh my word. That is the key for being a Christian. Being a Christian means my life is in the hands of God. I'm in the hands of God. That's pretty incredible. But when I'm in circumstance, I'm gripped by that. I'm in the hands of that circumstance. When I don't have money, I'm in the hands of not my lack. There are certain things. But if we are conscious that my life is given into God's hands, Jesus is in me, then like Paul, although in prison, he was as free because the Son had set him free indeed. One writer put it like this, one Christian writer says, Joy is not an outward circumstance, but an inward strength. Joy is based not on outward circumstance, but an inward strength. And it's not my strength. I'm not strong. I am weak. I am weak. I'm a weak man. I'm a weak human being. Believe you me, I am weak. But there is an inner strength that comes from Christ in us. Paul discovered something that I want more of. You know when we say more, Lord, people pray more, Lord. I want to know. I honestly want to know more of that inner hope and glory of Christ in me like I've never known before. And that comes as I put my life into his hands all the more and say, this is my life, God, take it. This is my life, Father, take me. It sounds too good to be true, but it's true. It's too easy, but it's true. Our lives in his hands. But there's so much stuff that takes up our time. There's so many things that take, gets in the way. There's so much to be done. There's so much I must do. There's so much I've got. I've got so many things that get in the way. But Jesus wants us for himself. And then he does an amazing thing. He sets us free to truly enjoy Everything on this earth and into eternal future. It's incredible. And Paul discovered this perhaps all the more because he was maybe in prison. Do you, I don't know about you, but in my life there are times when you go through bad stuff. And you know when you come through at the other side, it's, it does make you, although we at the time we don't feel it, a better person. Because you think, God help me then. I learnt this then. I felt God more then. And then sometimes when we get out and everything's going great, we just coast along and we can lose our way a bit. But sometimes in the most challenging circumstances, you can sometimes, if you reach out to him, his grace abounds all the more. And perhaps as Paul is imprisoned, chained, and he liked to get out and about, my Helen will not, she's not here so I can talk about so that's good. My wife will not stay in. Whereas me, I could relax at home and 
sit in the garden or something. My Helen's got to be out, about doing something. Paul was that type of person. He was out and about sharing. So to be, to be confined, to be confined, it was like torture, sheer torture. And it's that type of experience that Paul then abounds in this amazing key to life. So as we come to a conclusion, he says something quite amazing. He says, for me to live is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 1, verse 21, we've just read. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, whether I live or I die. You can tell from those few verses, verse 12 to 24, we've just read. He was absolutely sold out. His life was held in the hands of Jesus. If there's anything holding on to Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Absolutely sold out. No matter what, he wasn't like, oh, well, you know, to live is gain. It wasn't like, it was like, it was triumphant. No matter what, whatever happens in my life, whether I live or I die, it's all gain. I'm just so sold out. I'm so in the hands of Jesus. I'm so conscious, Paul is saying, that God is in my life, that Jesus has me in the palm of his hands, that Jesus loves me, that I am just bathed in love. I'm surrounded by love. Nothing can separate. Nothing can get to me. That's, that's an amazing revelation. Paul writes about this revelation, that you and I can know that too. We may know and experience that same love, that same experience of being in his hands, held by him and not held by circumstance, not ransomed by another person, whether it's someone that's saying you can't do or you've got to do or is out to get you. We are held not in the hands of that person or the hands of that circumstance, but held by the loving hands hands, hands of Jesus. Held by his love. That's what made Paul free. His heart was held by love. I'm in your hands, God. I'm in your hands. That's an amazing verse. I've, I've quoted that verse. I've read that verse. But now I understand it after 33 years. I've been a Christian 33 years. That's jumped out the page more to me in the last week or two than I've ever known in my life. It's jumping out the page. Let the word of God jump out the page to you. It's a revelatory. It's alive. It's living. It's amazing, the word of God. The Bible, the New Testament. Let it jump out the page. Grip your heart. Grip your spirit. Grip your mind. Don't ever go cold. Don't ever allow life just to just cruise along. Let the Holy Spirit speak more and more and more to you and I. He's held by love, held by, been freed by the loving hands of an almighty God who loves us. Jesus loves us. The Father loves us. So our hearts can be held by love. And this is what Paul is sharing. When he talks about joy, the joy comes out of a real sense of being loved and loving God and being in his hands and in his arms. It's the key, the very key to a sense of emotional well-being and dealing with our hearts and lives. And as I said, he not only talks about his heart, but his head. In Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, have this same attitude of Christ. Have the same mindset, another translation says. And one translation says, have the same mind of Christ. In Philippians 4, he'll go on to speak about, and we'll look at this. Think about such things. Four, chap, chapter 4, verse 8, whatever's good, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, think on such things. So Paul is all the time motivated in his heart by the love of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit in him and thinking in his head, heart and head, 
is engaged on thinking in whatever's good, whatever's pure. Jesus is good. Jesus is pure. I'm in his plan. He's got a great plan for me. I don't know about you, but when things go wrong and circumstances horrible, I just think it's going to go wrong. This ain't right. I'm no good. This ain't going to work out. But if we can, and it's not being positive, it's thinking about Christ, it's thinking about the good things that God has for us, then it can change our minds. I once came across a a story. It was about two prisoners and they were looking out of their prison cells. The yard was down below them and their their prison cells backed onto the yard down below. And as they were looking out of their cells uh, one evening from behind the bars, the the story goes that uh, as they looked out, one of them saw mud and the other saw stars. One of them saw mud and one of them saw stars. Both were looking out. And, uh, you know, our outlook determines a lot about our hearts and lives. And this is what Paul is getting at. Think on such things. Whatever's good, whatever's pure, have the mind of Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says. It's our outlook, our, as we look on God, as we look on Jesus, as we look to him, as in my circumstance, when things are going wrong, where are you, Jesus? I am look out towards you. And it's really important, really interesting that our outlook will determine the outcome of our lives. And so I've discovered if I can turn my outlook into an uplook, one saw stars, one saw mud. Both were true. There was mud in the yard down below. It wasn't that it wasn't true. It was true. But the other saw the stars. And there's something about turning my outlook into an uplook, my outlook into looking towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of my life. It's not to say, of course there's the mud. Of course there's the difficulty. Of course there's the sickness. It's there. I don't need to be reminded of it. But then I look towards the author and perfecter of my faith. That's what Paul is getting at when he says about think on Jesus. Think on what's that which is good. I don't know about you, but my propensity in me can be to look on the negative. Sometimes people say, oh, you sound very positive, Adrian. You're always talking about what can be done and I can do all things through Christ. Because I work on that. Because I'm always looking. I have to turn my... My propensity would be to look at the mud. That's me. I would look at the mud. And yet, I'm learning. I'm on the journey of looking towards the stars, of looking towards Jesus time and time again. It makes a huge, huge difference. It transforms. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ. We're going to look at what that means and how to do that in the weeks ahead. But it's the key. Heart and head in Christ is the power of knowing a deep-seated sense of purpose, hope, and joy for life that will actually deal with emotional resilience, make us stronger in God, and deal with angst and our anxieties. Because a transformation occurs. You see, when our hearts, we allow our hearts to be filled with Christ who is in us, and our minds to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, it says, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We find a transformation occurs. We become more like Christ. We're new creations. And we find our hearts and lives become in line with the heart and life of God. And we begin to feel and think differently. You know, we spend a long time as a church looking at kingdom culture and kingdom values. We find that we become more kingdom-minded naturally as we give our hearts to him more and more and say, Lord, take my heart and take my life and take my spirit as I open up my life to you. So 
As we look at this together, we can find that sense of freedom knowing Jesus and the love of God deeper in our hearts and our minds being transformed more and more as we gaze and look towards him and think about him and think on him and take his word and lay hold of that in our minds, we find that we will become more and more founded, grounded on a a sense of the rock of who Jesus is. And this is exactly where Paul was writing from. It's incredible. And you know what? That is open to every single one of us this morning. Let's pray together. God bless you. Thank you. So let's just do that right now, shall we? Open up our hearts. When I say allow more and more, it's just to give him the room. Let's stand together, shall we, friends? I don't know about you, but I just want to just say, you know, in my heart, Lord, I want to give you the room. Jesus lives in us. The Holy Spirit's in us. But I don't know about you. There are many things, and it might be worries and concerns that we have right now. So they may be crowding us. And you may have many things in your mind. That's, we're not... And there's no mind over matter. It's our faith as we trust him. Let's just give him space in our hearts, shall we? Holy Spirit, we just say, Father God, Lord Jesus, we, we make you welcome. You are here. And we just give you room. I give you, Father God, room in my heart. I know this morning amongst us, there are many things that are pulling us and worrying us. and That's normal. Many things that we have to do. But just for a moment, right here, right now, we want to give you space and a place. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're living in me by the Holy Spirit. But um, we don't want to just give you the back room. We want to give you the whole house. Walk wherever you like. I've got a cupboard that's packed full of stuff. You can open it, Lord. You can open it. I'm not going to hide it all away there. Some of us are back cupboards, as it were, of stuff, of hurts, Come and walk and have your way. Have our hearts, Father. You have our hearts. You have our hearts. And we ask you, Father God, help us turn outlook into uplook. We want to see you, whatever's good, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, in your word, in you, Jesus, in you, Holy Spirit, in you, Father God. Help us see that right now. Help us see you. I just pray for people here this morning and doctors have said this and specialists have said that and circumstances screaming this. The mud is there. We're not going to hide our head in the sand, so to speak. It's there. But help us see you. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you help us see you? Just pray for people this morning. Help us see you. Help us see your living word. Help us see you, Jesus. Make your Bible the New Testament, come alive, jump out the page, come and grip us, come and let us see you so that our minds can be changed more and more and more like you. Come and heal your people, Father God. Come and heal your people. In Jesus' name we pray.
We're going to close as we sing together. Say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord Jesus, have your way. Take more and more of me. Lord, take more and more of your church. Have your way. Have your way.